This City Wire podcast is sponsored by Scottish Mortgage Investment Trust. Scottish Mortgage invests in some of the world's most promising and exceptional companies, from healthcare breakthroughs to electric vehicles to a green energy revolution. Scottish Mortgage takes stakes in businesses shaping our future economy and society. Scottish Mortgage is considered the flagship trust of Edinburgh-based investment managers Bailey Gifford and is the UK's largest investment trust. As with any investment, please note capital is at risk. To find out more, please visit scottishmortgageit.com. Hello, my name is Caroline Hogg and welcome to The Wealth Show from CityWire. In this episode, I'm joined with Helena Morrissey, Chair of the Diversity Project. Founded in 2016, the Diversity Project is a cross-company initiative consisting of over 85 member companies that aim to promote a diverse and inclusive environment across the investment industry with a representation that reflects society at large. Helena is working on turning around the investment industry's DEI obstacles through the Diversity Project, and she has an impressive 30-year career in the industry. She joined Newton Investment Management in 1994 and became CEO in 2001. She later became chair at AJ Bell and was appointed to the House of Lords in 2020. Helena, thank you so much for being here today. It's a pleasure, Caroline. Thanks for having me. Um, So before we go into the diversity project, um, I wanted to talk to you about your own experience in the fund industry. Um, So firstly, what attracted you to fund management, especially when the industry back then was even more male dominated than it is now? Okay, well, I was blissfully ignorant about that, to be honest, Caroline. Um, And I sort of fell into fund management. Uh, I didn't know what I wanted to do, really, after leaving university. Um, I was studying philosophy, which actually has come in quite handy over the years. Um, But my friends, mainly male friends, suggested that I apply to the city um, at the time. uh, I think the city was attracting most um, applicants of any sector, and they said, you know, you're numerate, you like talking, you like people, you, you'll find it interesting. Uh, and they were right. So I, I'm afraid I somewhat fell into it. And perhaps if I'd known what it might be really like, I'm, I might be slightly put off. But all's well that ends well, as they say. <laughs> so, yeah, from your own experience as, you know, a female fund manager, how has the fund industry's white kind of male dominated image evolved over the past 30 years? So I'm afraid we are woefully behind um, just about every other industry. Um, We haven't made much progress in many respects, but I want to start by actually emphasising that the culture has changed. Um, When I joined the city, actually it was almost 35 years ago, uh, it was quite an antagonistic place for not just women, but anybody who wasn't, as you say, white, male, middle class, privately educated even. And it was tough going. It was was quite inhospitable. And um, now I think there's general recognition that we need more diversity, we need to have inclusive environments and not just to be nice, we need it so that we have diversity of thought and so we can attract the right talent. So I think we've come a long way in terms of our intention, but the results, I'm afraid, um, you know, we know we're still at just 11% female fund managers. Actually, that's deteriorated. It was 14% two decades ago. And I think just 1% of fund managers in Britain are black. So we really have a long way to go. Yeah. So so going to the Diversity Project's gender targets, could you tell me first and foremost how the Diversity Project helps to attract, but most importantly, retain more women in the investment industry? So we've done a lot of interventions since we started the 
Diversity Project five or so years ago. Um, for example, last year we collated lots of great examples of actions that firms, our member firms, had taken which had yielded results. So we looked at um, everything from you know, policies around the menopause uh, to attracting female talent in the first place to uh, better equal parental leave policies. So there's been a lot of specific interventions. What we're trying to do now, and actually today we're announcing the launch of a new, um, first of its kind, I think globally, a program called the Future Female Fund Manager Programme. We're going to try to address the very stubborn issue of the scarcity of female representation in the fund management roles, uh, which is, as I say, important for diversity of thought. Um, CityWire's own data shows that mixed gender teams tend to perform best when it comes to managing money. And as I said earlier, we're going backwards. So we're now introducing a program that is going to be designed to complement the CFA qualifications and really give women the skills and the confidence they need to succeed as fund managers. And when it comes to, let's say, retaining um, this talent, I personally think that one of the, the main reasons that the fund industry has such a high female turnover rate is because it's generally viewed as kind of a non-family friendly industry. So when it comes to, you know, the unequal distribution of labor, because women are still seen as the primary caregivers, women burn out faster and aren't promoted as much as men later on in their careers. Um, so from, from your own experience as a mother within the industry, um, did you face any challenges during your journey to the C-suite? And, and what is the Diversity Project doing to work against that burden of the, of the extra shift on women? So it's a great question, Caroline. And actually, this is the provenance of why I got involved in gender equality work to start with um, when you know, many years ago launched the 30% Club. Um, I had suffered... Um, from discrimination, I mean, it's the only way to put it really, um, after I had returned to my job, my first job, after my first maternity leave. And I'd only taken a few months off. It wasn't like a year that people might take now. Not that that should make any difference anyway. Um, and when I came back, I was eligible for the first promotion. Uh, it wasn't supposed to be any big deal. It was the first rung on the ladder. It was just not being a graduate trainee anymore. And I didn't get it. Um, this is a long time ago. That baby is now 30 years old. But when I asked what I needed to do differently, my boss said, you know, there's no doubt over your performance, but there is some doubt over your commitment with the baby. And I'm afraid that today nobody would say that because um, there's laws against it for a start, but they might think it. They just might think it. And also, as you say, women tend to still be the sort of default person for not just childcare, but for lots of domestic duties. And we obviously saw that during the pandemic as well. So we are um, in trying to encourage, and again, some of these uh, case studies that we pulled together last year, which is a sort of live document. So if anyone's listening and has a great example of something that works, please get in touch. Um, a couple were around equal parental leave. And a few firms, um, Aviva, Columbia Threadneedle, um, and Aberdeen have put in place equal parental leave policies. And obviously this is going way above what's required by law. Um, and this is... Uh, encouraging men to play as big a part in their family's life, uh, particularly when their children are very young, um, as women do. And uh, really, I think this is one of the keys to um, really changing that uh, imbalance that you mentioned earlier, Caroline, because at the moment, I mean, I don't think you can really get gender equality in the workplace unless you have better gender equality at home. 
I completely agree. When I looked at the diversity project's gender targets, it says that um, it aims to have a 20% female fund manager representation um, across its member companies. So I wanted to ask, do you think that increasing the representation of female fund managers will necessarily lead to a more diverse female representation? Well, it won't necessarily in itself. Um, and I appreciate that, you know, we're trying to do what might be called, I don't like the word particularly, but intersectional things and try to encourage more diverse women to apply, not just white women who've been, you know, educated at Oxbridge. Um, so I think it is equally important that we attract diverse women. We are doing several things um, to, to do that. I mean, one of the programs that, oh, we've got two sets of targets around socioeconomic and ethnicity as well. Um, one of the programs that we have, which is a run by a, a group called Upreach, which is called the Investment Springboard, um, which targets each year for the last three years, we've had roughly 100 students from uh, lower socioeconomic backgrounds, the average household income that they've come from is £28,000 a year. Um, and we are giving, you know, through our members, obviously, they're providing internships, mentoring, work experience, and then obviously some help uh, through the interview process to hopefully get permanent roles. I encourage all of our member firms to join GAIN, which stands for Girls Are Investors. It's not our program, but we, we try not to reinvent any wheels. And they do a great thing around attracting more women, um, all colours, creeds, etc. Um, and then we also have uh, programmes that we're working on within our different race and ethnicity work streams, um, where they've actually done mentoring circles for uh, year 12 school age children. So um, we've got a lot going on. It's just how do we pull it all together to ensure that um, we get those results before everyone gets a bit exhausted from the efforts. And, and I feel quite optimistic at this juncture, I must admit. I feel, as I said earlier, there is the commitment. There is some frustration that's taking a while, but we are trying to change, you know, attitudes. Um, and also the, you know, the chicken and eggs problem of people not wanting to apply because they don't really see anybody who looks like them. I think going into kind of looking at the fund industry and gender parity from an intersectional perspective, I think, yeah, sometimes what gets missed in data, um, particularly when we look at this industry, um, is that when you look at, for example, gender parity, um, we're predominantly viewing it, or the data is predominantly viewing it from a white perspective. And when we talk about, you know, ethnic parity, we're predominantly viewing it from a male perspective. Um, so yeah, you did mention before that 1% of fund managers are black. So I wonder within that, how many of them are, for example, black women. And so when you think about this, what can the fund industry do not only to better represent, you know, women of colour within the industry, but to make the, the company culture more inclusive? So, well, I think I think there, there has been great commitment um, towards inclusive cultures from the top, from the CEO level, although we've actually just put out a guide for any CEO who wants a bit of help on that one, um, how to create inclusive workplaces. But I think that the issue really often lies and often unintentionally, I'm not sort of being critical here, I'm just being, I, I think, factual, that often uh, managers in our industry, so line managers, people managers, they're promoted to that role, 
really because they're good at their job, they're good at running money, uh, say, or running a sales team, but they or sales um, numbers come in and so forth, but they're not necessarily people people. They don't necessarily know how to manage people inclusively, how to um, perhaps recognize that people might not feel automatically welcomed, um, even if the other members of the team feel that they're being nice to them. You know, there's, there's sometimes things which are culturally um, just different. And so one of the things we're trying to do is to encourage uh, more line manager training around, um, and not just training, but actually putting it into practice, um, how to manage people in an inclusive way, because there's no good us attracting more diverse people um, and then them just finding, you know, it just inhospitable or just not um, enabling them to progress. And I think sometimes it's quite subtle issues. Um, people type, sometimes talk about microaggressions, which makes it seem like it's nothing, but they're big over time. Um, and what people have told me, particularly um, a, a black guy once told me, he said, the thing is that I was attracted to the industry. I thought I could make my way. There was a great interview process. People seemed really keen to have me here. But then when I arrived, I felt that the only way to succeed was to adopt the persona of, you know, the white bosses in front of me um, or ahead of me. And, you know, we just don't listen sometimes. We don't listen to how people, you know, they have got some contributions to make that might not be quite in the same way as somebody who's come from a, a similar background to ourselves. Um, so I think there needs to be a lot of work around managing people and and bringing out the best in them as individuals, not to fit a certain mould. My kind of follow-up question is actually about your 90% campaign. So I was looking at it and it aims to bring the ethnicity disclosure rate across the com your member companies up to 90% within the next two years. So with this, how does this campaign hope to kind of promote a more inclusive and uh, representative environment? So, well, it's rather telling at the moment that most firms wouldn't know the ethnicity data of their own staff. Um, they might now be asking on the way in through interview processes and so forth, but if they attach the questions around race and ethnicity to, say, a staff survey, then all the experience suggests that a lot of people who are ethnically diverse won't fill them in. Um, and you can understand why, because they might think perhaps that the answers would help to identify them, and they might have said some critical things um, about leadership in another part of the survey. So it's very important that we encourage people to feel comfortable about disclosing their ethnicity and to um, make it clear that this is entirely so we can measure our progress and also make sure there isn't any, even if it's unwitting, discrimination, and we can measure the ethnic pay gap as well. So I think it's, for us, it, the idea of having 90% disclosure rate, which sounds an awful lot when you've probably got about 15% today, um, it's deliberately um, ambitious because we think actually it should be an absolute starting point. I mean, we're giving people two years, um, we're going to help them get there. And we have had some great examples of a couple of our member firms who did a separate call out for ethnicity data and didn't attach it to any other staff engagement survey, for example. And they got their uh, their disclosure rate up from, say, 15% to 85%, um, I remember one of the firms. And so we think where there's a will, there's a way on this one. But um, And that partly it is, as I say, because people are distrustful. And if they're distrustful, then 
we're not inclusive, are we? We're not, you know, there's something wrong. Um, so we feel this is a pretty much a starting point to then setting perhaps some goals around the numbers around ethnic diversity and also being able to measure the pay gaps. Okay, okay. Um, my my final question is is basically kind of looking at everything and, and looking back at your past experience and comparing it to the present day. Are you ultimately hopeful about the future of the fund industry and kind of what feedback um, is this initiative receiving from the mem- its member companies? So, well, it, it has been exciting seeing this growing commitment to all of these goals. Um, we actually now have 90 member firms. I think in your introduction, you said it was 85. We, we, we're gaining new members, you know, very quickly. Um, so it's quite universal, this commitment. Um, when we have CEO meetings, there's an advisory council. We'll have roughly 30 people attend um, our hour and a half long meetings, which is, I think, testament to their commitment. But of course, as I started by saying, we are woefully behind um, when it comes to actual results, when it comes to the numbers. What I think we need to do now is have a really intensive, urgent uh, sense of um, intent about this. And we need to have programs like the Future Female Fund Manager Program, which are very targeted, which are not saying, let's leave it all to chance and be nice and, you know, diverse people will join us and feel welcome, but actually going to do something very focused about it. Um, We've got um, a a great start uh, in terms of the firms that have signed up. Nine firms have signed up. Schroeder's, Aberdeen, Fidelity, HSBC, Newton, my former employer. um, I go on. um, And I'm sure that others will follow. um, And it would be great if we could just move from this commitment and actions to getting results. I'm optimistic we can get there, but it's not going to happen by itself. So a few years back, I said, um, you know, I'm not going to retire from the industry until we have achieved real results in this area of diversity. And um, so it's a bit of a personal plea, please, that I do want to retire at some point. So you, it's a bit of a promise. I'm going to stay until we actually have seen meaningful, visible change. OK, so what 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 percentage are you are you waiting for in the fund industry? No, well, I have to have 30 percent of female fund managers. I mean, really, having set up the 30 percent club, um, <laughs> you know I can't, I can't wait stop at 20 percent. so I'm afraid um you know hopefully I won't be still here and you know as I approach my centenary <laughs> okay okay great well yeah so thank you so much um Helena for joining me thank you this CityWire podcast is sponsored by Scottish Mortgage Investment Trust Scottish Mortgage invests in some of the world's most promising and exceptional companies, from healthcare breakthroughs to electric vehicles to a green energy revolution. Scottish Mortgage takes stakes in businesses shaping our future economy and society. As with any investment, capital is at risk.